Desmond Ritter recently said that he is the best quarterback in this year's NFL draft. And I say, why not him? It is him. And I thought the Bearcats should change their offense into a pass-centric one this coming season. But after looking into it, I don't think they need to change their offensive approach. Plus, recapping the final four games from Saturday and looking ahead to tonight's national championship between North Carolina and Kansas. You are Locked On Bearcats, your daily podcast on the Cincinnati Bearcats, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you so much for making Locked On Bearcats your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcast. Today's episode of Locked On Bearcats is brought to you by Stat Hero. Stat Hero is reshaping the way you play fantasy sports. Dozens of house-based games to play daily. No sharks, no funky props, just your skill versus the lineups you choose. Sign up today at stathero.com slash locked on. Alex Frank here with you on this Monday, April 4th, 2022. So much um, happened over the weekend. I thought about a lot over the weekend. I thought about Desmond Ritter and what he said on Thursday on Good Morning Football. He was a guest on NFL Network's Daily Morning Football Show when he said in his interview with Rachel Bonetta, Kyle Brandt, and others who were hosting the show that day, he said that he is the best quarterback in this year's draft class. And at first I took that as whenever a player says he's the best quarterback or when he's the best at this, I always think it comes across as cocky. I don't know why, but you know what? After looking into it more and after thinking about it, why isn't he? It is Desmond Ritter as the best quarterback in this year's draft class. I would argue he's the most evolved quarterback. I would argue he's the most experienced quarterback. I would argue he is the most accomplished quarterback in this year's draft class. Desmond Ritter, if I haven't said this enough already, I'm going to say it again. He went 44-6 and six as a starter in his career. He had 10,239 passing yards, two AAC championships, and as if that wasn't enough, he completed 62.1% of his passes. Desmond Ritter evolved from being a dual-threat quarterback into being one of the best passing quarterbacks in college football. He won road games at Indiana and Notre Dame. He won back-to-back AAC championships. He did not lose a single game at home. That's something Kenny Pickett cannot say. And... He won 10 or more games in three of his seasons. Kenny Pickett, for the record, only won 10 games, I believe, twice at the most at Pitt. Now, if you want to argue Kenny Pickett's the best quarterback, that's fine. If you want to argue him because he finished third in the Heisman in the Heisman Trophy race, that's fine. If you want to argue that he played at Pitt, he had better stats, that's fine. If you want to argue he played five years, that's fine, too. If you want to argue he, too, won a conference championship and that he actually won a New Year's Six Bowl game, that's fine, too. But you know what? I'm not going to give in any of that. I I know what I've seen. Desmond Ritter is the best quarterback in this year's draft. What's Kenny Pickett's best win uh, this year against Clemson? Clemson had a down year this year. Desmond Ritter won a road game at Notre Dame. He won a road game at Indiana. He won two conference championship games against two really good caliber conference opponents. He went to UCLA and won that game. He went into UCF and won that game, finished 3-1 and as a starter against UCF, fellow Big 12 foe. He went 3-0 and against Houston in his Bearcats career, two wins at home, one win on the road. 
He beat Memphis once in two. He beat Memphis once. Had a really good performance against them in 2020. Desmond Ritter, you could argue with how he evolved as an individual and as a leader. I would want him as my team. When we talk about a quarterback and what makes a really good quarterback, sure the on-field stuff is what we think of first. But then there are the intangibles. Then there are the leadership qualities. And of the quarterbacks in this year's draft class, and I haven't, and I did not watch a lot of them in college because I was mainly focused on Desmond Ritter. But Desmond Ritter was the best is the best quarterback in this year's draft class. If you want to talk about it from a leadership perspective, he is. You talk about bringing a college football program from the depths of your relevancy in a mid-major conference and to the college football playoff. That is something we may not see again, especially if we get to a point where we get to super conferences at the Power 5 level and the American Sunbelt, MAC Conference USA, and Mountain West are basically left to fend for themselves, which is not going to be much. That's where we are at right now. Or we, or I should say where we could be in 10 years, 15 years. Kenny Pickett won an, a, won an ACC championship. He played in another ACC championship in 2018. He passed for over 12,000 yards. His completion percentage was three-tenths of a percent higher than Desmond Ritter. He also won 37 games. I'm not saying Kenny Pickett's not going to be a really good quarterback in the NFL. I believe he will. If he gets if he goes to the right team that needs a quarterback and can develop him and he can build a successful career, I believe Kenny Pickett is going to when all is said and done is going to be a really good quarterback for a franchise. But Desmond Ritter just has this mystique and aura about him that I don't think Kenny Pickett has. There are quarterbacks in recent draft classes that have this mystique and aura about them. It was Trevor Lawrence last year. It was Joe Burrow in 2020. It was Kyler Murray in 2019. It was maybe Baker Mayfield. It was, you could pick any quarterback in the 2018 draft class. There are quarterbacks who have this mystique and aura about them coming out of college. And I can't believe I'm saying this. And people who are, who are not associated with the Bearcats program or only follow it from a distance or are just casual college football fans. I believe Desmond Ritter has a mystique and aura about him. It's because of what he, it's because of how he evolved as a leader and as the Bearcats evolved as a program. When you rise from the ashes and go all the way to the college football playoff, and you're the quarterback of that team for four years, there was a lot of moving parts to the Bearcats over the last four years. Michael Warren came and went. Jared Dokes came and went. Jerome Ford transferred in. Desmond Ritter was the constant. The Bearcats went through a defensive line overhaul in the 2018-19 in offseason. The constant was Desmond Ritter. He was there all four years. We were there when we knew how good of an athlete he was, but there was always the thought that he was holding the Bearcats back. We were there when he went on that five-game stretch after a COVID layoff for the Bearcats in 2020 when he was one of the best quarterbacks in college football. We were there when, or maybe you maybe you were there at Indiana and Notre Dame. When the Bearcats were a college football playoff contender, it was a fun talking point, and then it became serious with Ritter's performances at Indiana and Notre Dame. Two very different performances in their own way. 
Ritter had to come back from down. Ritter had to lead the Bearcats from down 14 against Indiana and Notre Dame. The Bearcats never trailed, but yet in those two different games, Ritter was there. Ritter threw for almost 300 yards in each of those games. The Bearcats won both of those games. Ritter overcame quite a bit in that, in those games. He overcame a fumble in both games. Ritter's a very resilient quarterback. I'm not sure if that's the case with Kenny Pickett, Malik Wills, and Sam and Sam Howell. Malik Wills, Malik Willis is an interesting conversation. He only played two seasons at Liberty. They've only been an independent team for four years. In those two seasons, he passed for over 5,000 yards. He completed 62.4% of his passes. He played two seasons at Auburn, albeit sparingly. Then you have Sam Howell, who played three seasons in North Carolina. And the last two years, I would argue North Carolina underachieved. They were a top-five program in 2020. Then they fell to number 17 by the time the season ended. Then they were a top 10 team going into the start of the 2020 season, 2021 season rather, and they immediately fell off the face of the earth. They ended up six and seven. Mind you, they were a top 10 team to start the season. Massive underachievement, massive failure, depending on how you look at it. Sam Howell completed almost 64% of his passes. He did throw for over 10,000 yards and he had 21 wins. He might be a really good quarterback in this league, depending on what system he goes to. But as far as accomplishments and involvement and and what Ritter faced in his career, I am going to take Desmond Ritter as the best quarterback in this year's draft class. Like I said at the beginning of this segment, I took that as a a little bit of cockiness and arrogance on his part when he said that he was the best quarterback in this year's draft class. But if you know Desmond Ritter, you've heard that he has this confidence and this aura and this arrogance about him. So I'm not going to doubt him. I know what he's been through. I know how much he has grown. I know how much he has evolved. And I know the quarterback he is. And I'm going to take his word for it that he is the best quarterback in this year's draft class. I really do. He still may not go first off the board from quarterbacks. That's fine. But when all is said and done, he will be the best quarterback from this year's draft class. By the way, Locked On Bearcats, and I shouldn't say by the way, I should have mentioned this at the outset, but Locked On Bearcats, we are on YouTube, so don't forget to hit that subscribe button, like this video, leave a comment, give it a rating, it helps more Bearcats fans like you find this podcast, Locked On Bearcats. Coming up, why the Bearcats don't need to change their offensive approach ahead of their move to the Big 12. That's coming up, but first, I need to tell you about Stat Hero because I love and I hate those buzzer beaters, the drama, but oh, the pain when you are on the other side of it. Stat Hero's NCAA single game pickums pits the star players against each other in an amazing hybrid between fantasy and sports gambling. Start focusing on the players you know best with a gameplay that doesn't rely on big spreads, long odds, or funky props. In addition to their pick'em games, they also have dozens of lineups you can comb through to take on head-to-head. Stat Hero is the easiest and fastest way to get your sports action fixed. This is what Daily Fantasy was meant to be. Sign up for free right now at stathero.com slash lockdown. Use promo code lockdown for a 100% deposit match. That's stathero.com slash lockdown. Use promo code lockdown for a 100% match. Stathero.com slash locked on promo code locked on terms and conditions apply. 
March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Once again, thank you for making Lockdown Bearcats your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcast. Alex Frank here with you on this Monday, April 4th of 2022, National Championship Monday. We'll take a look at that in our next segment. This segment, though, we're going to talk about the Bearcats offense. I, I said this on, on a show last week. If Cincinnati needs to change their offensive approach going into this season, does Gino Gandulli taking over as offensive coordinator is it going to change the way the Bearcats operate? Are they going to move from a run-centric offense to a pass-centric offense? It made sense to me when I said that last week. I thought about it, and I'm like, well, Gino Gadouli was the former passing game coordinator, so it would make sense that the Bearcats decide to, hey, you know what? We're going to change, and we're going to be a pass-centric offense. And I also thought, going to the Big 12, that it would make a lot of sense. It's an air-raid offensive conference. but the more I looked into it, the Bearcats don't need to change their offense. Gino Gadulli, back in February, when he took over for the Bearcats' offensive coordinator position, did an interview with the Bearcats, the athletic beat writer Justin Williams. By the way, congratulations to him, his wife Stephanie, and his family. Gave birth to their third daughter this weekend. So massive congratulations to Justin, baby number three in the family. We wish him well. We wish his family well. Um, Gino Gadulli had this to say to Justin in February about if there's going to be any changes. He said, in quote, you'll see some similarities. I'd like to play with a little bit more pace. We've got to find some ways in the run game to continue to get the ball on the perimeter. Our screen game, we need to call it more, but in order to feel confident about it, we have to rep it more and get better executing it. Those are the things more so than wholesale changes. We're not going to all of a sudden become Josh Heupel and run wide splits and go tempo. Tempo, excuse me. I think we're built for what we do. We're going to rely on our offensive line, particularly next year with all those guys back and running the football, end quote. So there you go. You're going to see a little bit of change, but you're not going to see some drastic changes. And again, I thought about it. You you watch Big 12 football. It's an air raid offense. It's an air raid offensive league, but it's becoming more of a balanced attack. You look at the team statistics. Go back five years. You go back to 2017, you'll see that Texas Tech and Iowa State would lead the Big 12 in passing yards per game at 370. That's a team stat, not a player stat, a team stat. And team passing stats factor in sacks, which if you get if a quarterback gets sacked, it counts towards negative passing yards for the team. It was like that five years ago. But you look at the progression, you go to 2019, 2020, and 20, mainly 2020 and 2021, you'll notice that the Passing stats aren't as prolific, and the rushing stats are up. So it's more of a balanced attack. Baylor had the 7th or 8th highest passing yards per game, and yet they won the Big 12. So it shows you that you can win in the Big 12 with the offense that you have. The American Athletic Conference is is unique to Cincinnati because the Bearcats have won back-to-back conference championships and have competed for a third 
they have competed in the AAC championship game three years in a row with an offense with, with an offense that is not pass centric. It is not we're going to line up five wide, we're going to air it out, try and stop us. No, it's ground and pound, making teams play their way. It has worked for the better for the last four years. It has worked. It has beaten UCF three times. We UCF came into the game in 2019, averaging almost six, almost 500, 600 yards a game. They were held a 420 plus that night. They came into 2000, the, the 2020 game, averaging almost over 600 yards a game. They were held to 353. So it shows you that the Bearcats, a that's more of a testament to their defense. But you can beat teams playing the way you play. You don't have to go five wide. Football is such a team game. I read I, I read a great quote from Joe Burrow over the weekend when he talked about how football is such a team game. The offense can't do anything about what the defense is doing. The defense has to complement the offense. It's not like in basketball where you're on the court for both offense and defense. In football, you are either offense or defense. You're not both. So the Bearcats, they play their style of offense. Now, they've been a better passing offense the last two seasons, but in 2018 and 2019, they were not a great passing team. Their their best playmakers were their tight ends, and it's why I said last week that Tyler Scott could be this team's first prolific wide receiver since at least I started watching Bearcats football in 2008, maybe since Marty Gilliard. <clears throat> Excuse me. But they don't have to they don't have to make any wholesale changes, as Gino Caduli said. They don't have to. You can win in the Big 12 with an offense that you have. Houston is a pass first offense. UCF is a pass first offense. So too is BYU. They're gonna go in and they're gonna do their thing. Oklahoma's going to do theirs. Iowa State and Texas Tech will do theirs, but you can still win with the defense that you have and the offensive approach you take. Just because Gino Gadulli is taking over, he's a, the outgoing passing game coordinator, which is now handed, which has now been handed down to Mike Brown. He's going to take on that role in addition to being the wide receivers coach. He's a former quarterback too, Gino Gadulli, but it doesn't mean they have to run that kind of offense. They don't. If they were to run that offense, as Gino is implying here, with that quote I mentioned, they would basically be saying, okay, we have to become what UCF is. No, they don't. It would basically be getting rid of the identity that they have had for the last few seasons. You don't want to do that. I understand there's not a lot, there's a lot to replace. Ritter, Pierce, Ford. There's a lot to replace on this offense. But it doesn't mean you have to completely change your identity. Teams who stick with an identity. It's a sign of they they are confident in what they're doing and they know how to win. If the Bearcats do that, they should win at least 10 games this year. Maybe more. But the point is, they they I thought at first they, they maybe should go past centric, but the more I think about it, I don't think they will. I don't I think it's going to be a very similar offense. The offensive line is returning all five starters. Their running back room is going to be a running back by committee. They have quarterbacks who can also run. It's not going to be a drop back five wide wide receiver offense spreading the ball around. It's not going to be that the tight ends are probably going to be the leading receivers on this team. Maybe Tyler Scott is there too, but this is going to be a largely the same offense we have seen for the last three to four seasons. Up next, uh, we're going to recap the final four games from Saturday, both really entertaining in their own way. And I got a question for Duke fans. 
And if you and if they think about it, if they think about the question I'm going to ask, they might feel even the slightest better about Saturday night. I'll get into it. But first, I need to tell you about Bet Online, your number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. BetOnline.net. You can find all of the latest sports developments, including this week's Masters Championships, Masters Championship odds, rather podcasts and reviews for all the different leagues this season. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sporting wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet Online, where the game starts. Thank you for making Lockdown Bearcats your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcast. Alex Frank here with you on this Monday, April 4th, 2022. The national championship game tonight on TBS, 920 tip, number eight seeded North Carolina, number one seeded Kansas from the Caesar Superdome in New Orleans. I know Isaac Shade, the Locked On Tar Heels host, will be there. His Tar Heels just beat the Duke Blue Devils on Saturday night, 81 to 77. Excuse me. To end the career of Duke head coach Mike Shashevsky. North Carolina advancing to their third national championship game in the last six NCAA tournaments. Kansas beating Villanova 81-65. They advanced to their first national championship game since 2012 in New Orleans as well. They lost to Kentucky. They are in their third national championship game appearance under Bill Self. I thought Saturday's Final Four games were really good. Some years they can be a letdown in terms of the blowouts. You know, you get excited and then both games end up being decided by 20 or more points. This was not like that. Sure, Kansas beat Villanova by 16. I thought Villanova did a very admirable job of competing without Justin Moore. They got the game down to six within six points in the second half, but Kansas was just was just too much. Sorry about that. So Kansas on Saturday. Daniel McCormick was the leading scorer, 25 points and nine rebounds. Um, a double double from Jalen Wilson, 12 rebounds, 11 points. Ochai Ajabi, 21 points, six of eight from the floor. Remy Martin played 21 minutes. He only scored three points, but still five rebounds, two assists. Christian Braun had 10 points. Um, Lightfoot had two points and four rebounds. Kansas shot 13 of 24 from three, over 50% from the floor, almost 54%. They were 10 of 13 from the floor. They out-rebounded Villanova by six. They had 18 assists to just seven turnovers, whereas Villanova had 12 assists to nine turnovers. Admirable effort, though. Brandon Slater was 16. Colin Gillespie was 17 to lead the team. And then Caleb Daniels with 13 points. So I think what I think this game, Kansas got out to such a hot start. It was 10-0. Villanova competed, but Kansas was just too much. This was an instance, and we've seen this matchup in the Final Four in the in the last recent NCAA tournaments. 2016 in the regional final, I should say, and then 2018 in the Final Four. And Villanova just had way more depth than Kansas. But I think also this game was 2018, we saw Villanova get off to a blistering start. I think it was 16-4. to Kansas never really made it close. They never led in the game. This time around, it was Kansas getting off to a very hot start, a good start, and they held on to the lead. 
and they didn't sweat. So often in recent NCAA tournaments, Kansas has crumbled under pressure, whether it's they get behind to an inferior opponent early, whether it's they squander a big lead like they did against Michigan in the 2013 Sweet 16, or they just don't they just don't play well, you know? They just don't play well. I've seen them lose to Stanford. I've seen them lose to Wichita State. I've seen them lose to VCU. I've seen them get clobbered by Auburn and USC, but I've seen this team. This team is balanced. This team can score. This team can shoot. And they're playing like the best team in the country. They they have some close wins in this tournament, but they've been, I would think, I would argue the most dominant team in the tournament. But the game everybody was talking about on Saturday, and I apologize for holding off this question that I know I was going to ask at the start, Carolina Duke. And obviously the big storyline here was Mike Krzyzewski's career is now over. It doesn't end with a national championship for a sixth time. It ends with a loss to the biggest rival for Duke in North Carolina. And North Carolina, for the first time that these two teams played in the NCAA tournament, for the first time that these two teams played in the NCAA tournament, North Carolina wins. I don't know when they're going to face each other again. I do know Coach K is not going to coach again. And North Carolina is the team that ended Coach K's career. But if you're a Duke fan, and if you're feeling still bitter about the game, and you're going to probably feel that way for a long time, I have a question for you. Would you rather have Duke lost to North Carolina in Coach K's last game, or would you rather have had them lose to St. Peter's, Mercer, or Lehigh? What would you rather have had? Because North Carolina, Duke's lost to North Carolina so many times over the years. It's like, okay, another loss to them. Duke doesn't lose to teams like Lehigh, Mercer, and St. Peter's. Two of those teams, though, spoiler alert, they have. But losing to a team like St. Peter's or Lehigh is more shocking, it's more stunning, it's more abrupt. This ending for Coach K's career wasn't abrupt. It could have ended against Michigan State. It could have ended against Texas Tech. It ended against North Carolina in the Final Four. They won a regular season championship and a regional championship. Not many teams play in the Final Four. This was Duke's first Final Four appearance in seven years. Now, there are those Duke fans who are never going to be able to get over this game. I understand that. You lose to your biggest rival and your legendary head coach's final game in the Final Four. But this was also, it was also kind of unfair that they had to play North Carolina. If they had played Villanova and lost, eh, all right. If they had played Kansas and lost, well, all right. It's North Carolina. Look, life is not fair. But it, would you rather would you would you rather lose to North Carolina, an opponent you're very familiar with, opponent that you lose too often, or a team like St. Peter's, Mercer, or Lehigh? A stunning, abrupt ending. Games you should win 100 times out of 100. North Carolina, you maybe win 52 times out of 100. I'm not saying it's okay that Duke lost. It's a disappointing loss. Because I thought they were the better team. Now, if you're North Carolina, what a heroic performance. You talk about you talk about um, Armando Baycock. 11 points, 21 rebounds. 21 rebounds. 
Leaky Black almost had a double-double, 8 points, 9 rebounds. Caleb Love had 28 points, 11 of 20 from the floor. R.J. Davis had 18 points, 7 rebounds, 4 assists. Brady Manick had 14 points, 4 rebounds. North Carolina shot 42.2% from the floor. They were 10 of 26 from 3. Duke was only 5 of 22 from 3. And yes, they had more bench points, but they only played 7 players. Pablo, ben, Pablo Bancaro had a great game. Double-double, 20 points, 10 rebounds. This team just ran out of gas down the stretch. Mark Williams missed two free throws, or three free throws. Actually, no, two. He was over two. He makes one of those, Duke can play for a tie. He makes both of those, Duke can play for the win. Duke was 12-20 from the line. Carolina, 17-24. Duke also attempted eight more shots, but they were... A half, a half a percentage point lower in terms of field goal percentage than Carolina. Carolina is a really interesting team because they don't have a star player. I don't think. Maybe Caleb Love is that now. And he's certainly a candidate for Final Four most outstanding player. But then again, you remember the last North Carolina team that won a national championship. That team didn't have a particularly great star player. You know, its best player throughout that tournament was Joel Berry, who had two bad ankles. Justin Jackson was really good. He played two. He played three seasons in North Carolina. He was really good. Isaiah Hicks was a good post presence. Same with Tony Bradley, who came off the bench. It wasn't a star-studded team, but it was an experienced team. That's what North Carolina is. And maybe it'll win on Monday night. North Carolina-Kansas is going to be a really good game, I do believe. I do believe that Monday night's game is going to be close once again. North Carolina has had a lot of magic happen for them this month of March. Kansas has been the more dominant team. So what's the narrative going to be? That a team that in North Carolina that doesn't have a star-studded team but has experience has had a lot of magic go their way. They're, they've beaten both a one and two seed already in the tournament. Can they beat, Can they have magic and competitiveness for one more game? I believe they're going to be competitive. Are they exhausted? Every team's exhausted. You've played five games. You've played five tournament games in the last two weeks. Yes, in less than two weeks. Yes, you're tired. Or I'm not, not less than two weeks, but two weeks. Just over that. But this is the national championship. But Kansas has been the most dominant team in the tournament. They crushed Texas Southern in the first round. They beat Creighton by seven in the second round. Hung on against Providence. Blew out Miami in the second half. And had pretty much con- control pretty much the entire game against Villanova. So it, it can be one of two things. It can. But which one is it going to be? I think Kansas will prevail and win this game. Now, then the question becomes, if Kansas is not able to get the job done in this game, how much criticism is warranted to Bill Self? You know, the, you know, the Jayhawks have not won a national championship since 2008. They have been to a Final Four in 2012, in 2018, and this year, but they've never won a national championship since they lost, since they beat Memphis in 2008. North Carolina was not supposed to be here. North Carolina was a bubble team to make the tournament. Now they're playing for a national championship. 
if they win, you know, where where does this rank amongst all-time North Carolina teams and national champions that have come from Chapel Hill? What's the reputation of Hubert Davis? In his first season as head coach, he wins a national championship? That's going to put him in an exclusive group if he's able to do that. Head coaches in their first season who win a national championship. It's going to put him in a very exclusive group of head coaches. I'm not sure off the top of my head how many head coaches have won national championships at the Division I level in their first season. But Hubert Davis has an opportunity to do that tonight. He's been coaching in the shadows of Roy Williams, who coached in the shadows of Dean Smith. Roy Williams won more national championships than Dean Smith. Hubert Davis can be one for one. North Carolina was an afterthought throughout much of the regular season. When they lost to Kentucky, when they lost to Tennessee, when they lost to Pitt, and now they're playing, and now they're 40 minutes away from a national championship. It is an improbable ride. It does remind me a little bit of 85 Villanova. It does remind me a little bit of 14 UConn. An eight seed, and maybe Butler too, because they were an eight seed that played for a national title in 2011. Kentucky was an eight seed that played for a national title in 2014. This is a very unique matchup because it is two blue bloods, two historic blue bloods. And B, it's not like it's one versus one. It's eight versus one. This is the first time an eight seed has played for a national championship since 2014. It does not happen very often. And yet it's happening now. I think it's going to be a really close game. I really do. I think Carolina's scrappy. I think they play with a good pace. I think Kansas is going to score. I think Ajabi's going to have a great game. In the end, I think the Jayhawks pulled out. I'll say 73-67. Kansas wins their fourth national championship. I believe it's going to happen. Or that is what's going to happen tonight. Thanks for making Lockdown Bearcats your first listen every day today. That's going to do it for today's episode. We'll have much more on spring practice throughout this week. Spring game is this Saturday, 1 o'clock in Nippert Stadium. Bearcats baseball over the weekend, they played East Carolina, hung tough with them, took the first game Friday, dropped Saturday's game 8-4, to lost on Sunday, yesterday 12-10, to but a long way to go, an admirable effort this past weekend. And like I said, that's a team that plays their best at the end of the season. Men's basketball news, of course, is going to be involving the transfer portal, who's coming, who's leaving. We do know that Mike Saunders Jr. has now officially committed to Utah per his Twitter page. That's interesting. By the way, remember last year how unsettling and uncomfortable it was when the Bearcats only had four scholarship players on their roster? LSU currently does not have a single scholarship player, period. Prayers for that program. Prayers for Lockdown LSU host, good friend of mine, Caroline Fenton, as I I would love to know what she has to think about that. Maybe you can make that your second listen every day, or your third listen after you make your second listen Lockdown NFL Draft, as Ryan Tracy and former NFL cornerback Eric Crocker bring the NFL Draft to life every day with insight and analysis on college football prospects and NFL front offices. It is free and available wherever you get your podcasts. For the Locked On Bearcats podcast, I'm Alex Frank. Have a great rest of your day. Enjoy the national championship game tonight. I'm going to try and do a quick recap on the game tomorrow night after work or tonight after work. So I'll try and do a little 10 to 12 minute recap on the game as far as much as I'm able to watch. And 
just enjoy it. It's North Carolina, Kansas. You don't get this national championship matchup very often. I know it's not Roy Williams versus Bill Self, but Roy Williams has a unique stake in this game because he coached at Kansas and North Carolina for 15 years at Kansas and 18 years in North Carolina. How about that? That's his head coaching career in his entirety. One of the most unique and successful coaching careers in the history of college basketball. Have a great rest of your Monday, and I will be back to talk to you all tomorrow.